Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this uh, beautiful day, for this time that we have to gather together. We do. Uh, that's just our prayer this morning, that everything that's done and said here would be a sweet sound to your ear, that you'd be glorified and honored by what is said and done here today. We pray that as we open your word, that your spirit would come and lead us in all truth and all righteousness, that you would show us exactly what you want us to see and what you want to apply to our lives and our hearts today through your word. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, maybe you've said this. I read an article this week that said, uh, the title just says, I'm done. That was the title of the article. And uh, maybe you've said that before. You've gotten frustrated with somebody. You said, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm not talking about it anymore. And uh, the sad part is the subtitle of the article said, I'm done. And then it said, when families stop talking. And so as I read the article, it just talked about how many families throughout our country are just not on speaking terms, that they get frustrated. And the author went through a bunch of reasons why. And some of them legitimate big things, but a lot of times it was small, silly things that, that leads to somebody finally saying, I'm done, and then I'm not talking anymore, and that's the end of it. And so as I was reading that article, it was, just, it was really heartbreaking when I read that article and was thinking about that and, and not uh, having those relationships and just kind of saying, I'm done, and walking away. And just that feeling of, of thinking about that, it made me think about how Paul must have felt as he was writing this letter to the Corinthians. We're going to be back in 1 Corinthians this morning. We're going to look at the verses that Chris just read to us just a minute ago, verses 10 to 18. And so when we're looking at this letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes to a church that he helped plant, he went to Corinth on a mission trip and he started to preach the gospel and people came to faith and this church began to bud and, and take root and Paul was there walking with them. And, and so when he writes these very personal letters, he's writing to correct a lot of things, writing to, to hit on some things that he knows are going on and, and to talk about. And, and today we're going to talk about that, some divisions that had come up in the church and things that are happening. And, and it just made me think as I read that article this week, Paul's heart for these people and wanting them to be united and unified and, and, and that they're not and, and the frustration with that. And so that's really what we're going to look at this morning. And, and so as we go through this uh, passage, this is the way we're going to do it. Uh, as we often do, we ask questions of the text and then let the text answer where we're going. If you want to follow along, we put a, a, a just a real basic outline in the bulletin for you. If you want to follow along, I think it's on page nine. And these are the four questions we're going to ask as we go through this. First of all, what is the problem here? What is the problem that Paul is dealing with? Second, what is the ideal or the solution he puts forth? What should, it, should a healthy church look like? Third, how do we get there? And then fourth, why is it so important? And so what is the problem? What is the ideal? How do we get there? Why is it so important? And so let's just jump right in. Let's get right into these verses. First of all, what is the problem that Paul's dealing with? And I already hinted at it here. It's a, it's a disunity. You see it right there in verse 11 if you look with me verse 11 just says this it has been reported to me by chloe's people that there is quarreling among you my brothers and so when we when we get into corinthians i mentioned this last week as we get into this 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 letter here in first corinthians what we really have and we know this from the context and as we read through these letters as we read through the book of acts we start to see that this is really a correspondence between this church that paul planted and then he's moved on and he started to go and plant other churches and spread the gospel. And so he's writing back and forth with the church. And so he's writing in this letter of first Corinthians to answer some questions and some concerns they have. But what he starts with and what he says here at the beginning and jumps right into is, is he says, I've heard from Chloe's. 
people that there's some disunity, there's some problems going on. And so what we, we can piece together from the context is they've written them a letter and they've asked some questions, but they didn't uh, think to mention that people are fighting in the church and they're not getting along. And so he says before, in a sense, what Paul's saying is before I get to your questions and I get to this other part, I want to address something that I've heard. And I've heard that you're, you're not getting along. And I've, I've heard that there's problems and there's factions in the church. And so look at what he says about this in verse 12. And so he goes on to say in verse 12, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. And so what he starts to talk to and starts to allude to and and, and get out here is that there's a problem in the church that some are following different teachers, that they're associating themselves and they're saying, I'm with this guy over here. And some are saying, no, I'm with this guy over here. And so what he talks about and what he mentions is, is right there at the beginning. Some follow Paul and some follow Apollos. You know, and we put together with what we have in Acts and what we see even in chapter three here of first Corinthians, we can say with with fairly, fairly certain that Paul came and he he planted this church and he got it up and going and all these things happening. And then this uh, Apollos comes along and kind of helps uh, take the role of pastor after Paul leaves. And uh, we see that in chapter three, verse six, Paul will say, I came and I planted and then Apollos watered. Uh, we read in Acts that Apollos was a very gifted teacher, very eloquent speaker. And so he comes in after Paul. And so, uh, you know, you have this divisions that starts to come. And some people are saying I'm with Paul and some people are saying, no, I'm with Apollos. And some say with Peter, that's Cephas, same, same thing. And so you get these divisions. And so as I was thinking about this and, you know, trying to put yourself in what's happening here or, or maybe guess what's happening here, uh, purely hypothetical, but it's probably could be difficult for Apollos to come in following Paul, uh, for a pastor to come into an existing church and maybe have different gifts or a different style and walk in. Now, I'm purely guessing, but that could be hard in some areas to come into that and to walk in and just have maybe a different calling or even just different gifts that God's gifted you with. And so you can imagine maybe what Apollos heard as he's there and factions are rising up, maybe things like your sermons are too long. Or your sermons are too short or why are you doing it that way or what? You know, and you start to imagine some of the things that are going on there and what could be happening. Or or maybe people are just, you know what, Paulus, you're okay, but I really like Peter a lot better. Right. And and that's kind of what we see here is this these factions that come up that some are saying I follow Paul and some are saying I follow Peter and some are saying this. And so you start to see all these divisions. And so Paul writes to address this right away. He says, this is what I've heard. And I want us to think for just a second about the background in Corinth, because sometimes we miss some of this uh, from distance, culture, different things. Now, now, just to know a little bit about Corinth helps in this. Uh, the city of Corinth was destroyed about 150 years before Christ by the Romans. Right. Corinth is a sea, uh, city in Greece. It's right in the middle. It's a very important port city. It's really an important city. In Greece, and so when Rome conquers the world, they destroy it and then they rebuild it and they rebuild it really as a Roman city right in the middle of Greece, right? Total conquer here. It's a big thing for Rome to have a city that looks just like a Roman city right in the middle of Greece. And so what happens in that city, what happens at this time is uh, it becomes this really uh, part of it is because it's a port city, but part of it is because of it's now this Roman city and this this uh, picture it has. And so what happens is 
uh, it becomes a place where people come and they, they talk and they discuss things and all the philosophers come and they debate. And it becomes this really big center for, for learning and for all these different things. And so what happens is these guys, these eloquent speakers come in and they put forth their philosophy and they tell their stuff. And then people go, yeah, I'm with that guy. I like what he's saying. And they become their disciples and they start to say the same thing. And so then the next guy comes along and some people follow them and all these things happen. And so then they leave. And what you have in the city is all these debates going on all the time about I'm with this guy and I'm with this guy and I'm with this. And so as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he goes, I now hear this is happening in the church. That some are saying, I Paul, I follow Apollos and some are saying, I follow Peter and I follow Paul. And he's going, that's not good. That's not the way it should be. They look just like the culture that's surrounding them. And so Paul writes to address this. You know, I was trying to think of, of maybe what that looks like in our culture today. You know, we live in a very unique time in that you can go home today uh, within the church and, and you can get on your computer or you can you use your phone. Really, you can do it all different ways. But you can listen to pretty much any pastor around the world. You can listen to whoever you want. And we have access to books upon books and all these great things and all this stuff. And we can see that. And uh, so what happens a lot of times, and I hear it a lot as different people will say, yeah, yeah, I really like, and they'll tell you their favorite teachers and their favorite pastors and their favorite, oh, I'm, I'm really a whatever guy, you know, and they'll tell you this, whoever it is. Now that's, that's not a bad thing. It's not, not, it's, it's actually, it can be a good thing in a lot of ways because we have access to a lot of really great teaching and a lot of good things and, and, uh, but, but, uh, I want you just to think about why we like those different teachers or those different preachers or the people you listen to. Do you like them because they're, they're really, really entertaining or do you like them because they're pointing you to Christ? Because a lot of times what I hear is somebody, I'll just have friends that tell me, oh, I love to listen to so-and-so and I'll go, oh yeah, great. Well, what do you like? He's so funny. He's so entertaining. Right. And, and they'll and they'll tell you these things and you go, OK, yeah, well, what, you know, tell me about what. You, and that's that's kind of the extent of it. Now, now, that's not everybody, but but I have heard that a lot. And so in our culture, what I think happens a lot of times is we begin to, to say, oh, I really like this guy. or I kind of follow this guy or I really like to read this guy's books. And, and we end up kind of uh, divided among the church instead of being all about Jesus. It's about I love listening to this guy over here. I love listening to this guy. And in a lot of ways, that's what's happening in Corinth. They're going, no, no, I'm with Paul and I'm with Apollos. And so there's this division here. And so what we get really is that the problem is there's there's infighting, there's quarreling, there's divisions within the church. Instead of being all about Christ, they're being all about these different teachers and different things and following these different people. And so that's the problem. That's first. That's the problem. So second, what's the ideal? What does a healthy church look like i want you to look at verse 10 the way paul starts just this section you know really last week we saw verses one to nine he's really encouraging them he's reminding them who they are in christ and then in verse 10 he goes right to the heart of let's let's get to the problems that are here but look at what he says in verse 10 i appeal to you brothers by the name of our lord jesus christ that all of you agree and there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment And so Paul goes right to the heart of this. He says, this shouldn't be this way. You should be united. You should be completely together. There should be a unity. There should be no division. You should be united in the same mind and the same judgment. I want you to even think about the words Paul uses. 
And let me remind you, we believe this is God's inspired word, that God inspired Paul to write this through the Holy Spirit. Remember what scripture tells us, that that God's word is eternal and all it's living and active and it's true. And so Paul uses these words to get across something very serious about what he's talking about. And look at how he says it. He says, I want you to be of the same mind and the same judgment. And the way he says that has a connotation of knowing of reasoning, of thinking through, of a unity of ideas. And so when we think about what Paul's telling them to be unified in, he's saying, I want you to be unified in a knowledge of God and who he is in Christ and the way he's revealed himself. And so when he's get, what he's getting at and what he's pointing us to is that, that our unity shouldn't be in, oh, I'm with this guy or I'm with this guy over here, but our unity should be in the huge doctrinal truths of what God has done and the way he's done it. And that all points back to Christ and what he's done. And he says we should be united in these foundational things about who God is. And, and ultimately we should be united in Christ through his spirit. And that should be the thing that we're about. And so I want you just to, to consider that for just a second. That that's what it's, that it's getting at. The ideal is that we'd be so united in who Christ is and what he's done that we'd just be overtaken with making disciples and following him and seeing those things and going after him in all these ways. And so I want us just to, to think about that. For just a second, right? That's, that's the ideal. That's what we're going for. But oftentimes there's all sorts of things that make that uh, harder to get to. Uh, part of it in, in their day is just what it looks like in their day and in, in the, the way the philosophers come. And that's kind of what they're used to and they're following different people. But I'd say there's reasons we miss it in our day. Now, and let me just say the foundational reason that we struggle with this is because we're sinful. And so they were sinful 2000 years ago and we're sinful today. And so that's the foundational. But I want us just to think for a second what it looks like in our own day and the way that we struggle with that. You know, we are in a society. We live in the most consumer society ever in the history of the world right now. That's that's where we are and that's where we live. And what we see and what we are pushed on all the time is is that the, the consumer, you're the consumer and you're always right. And we're bombarded with advertising and it's all about what you have it your way. You know, all the ad, think of all the ads that you see all the time. And we're just bombarded with that. And so what happens is that seeps into the church. The modern equivalent of what's going on there, I'd say today is is we seek unity. We seek to be united in other things. We seek to be united in our personal preferences. That's that's what happens a lot of times in the church. We pick a church based on style of dress, style of music, the way it feels, liturgy, all these different things. And then we seek to have a unity built around that. That's really what happens in a lot of ways. Uh, Maybe you like coming here because I don't wear jeans and I don't wear a T-shirt and I tuck my shirt in. Right. That might be for some people. Hey, that's a really good thing. All right. Or or whatever it is, the music's not too loud or whatever may it may be. And we and we start to unify around those different things. Oh, I go to the church where we kind of dress up and we do this and we do. Right. And I'm just going to submit to you this morning as we think about this and what the ideal is a church is that's no unity at all. If we're united over style of dress, then we're missing it. If we're united over style of music, we're missing it, right? What Paul says is that we'd be united of the same 
mind and of the same judgment and all of that is around Christ. That's the ideal. Now, that's to say, don't don't mishear me. That's not to say that these other things are bad things. They're not bad things. It's not bad to think of different things in what the style and the way we do things. But that shouldn't be what unifies us as a body of Christ. That's not what we should be hitting at or looking to when we do that. And so I want you just to think about that for just a second. Even think about the way we say a lot of things when we're when we're uh, coming together. We know this. Oftentimes we call it a worship service, right? You've probably grown up with that. We say that a lot. We come together in the worship service. And even that has connotations of our, our consumer culture. I'm coming to be served, right? I'm coming to get what I need out of the worship service. I like to call it, and we say this, and maybe you haven't noticed, but I think Mark said it this morning. This is the worship gathering of the Church of the Apostles, right? The church is the people. We don't come to the church, but we gather together, and it's a worship gathering, and I want you to think about just even the songs we sang this morning. Right? What are we gathering to do? We're gathering to worship Jesus. We're, we're gathering to sing, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I love you, Lord. And may it be a sweet sound in your ear. Right? All the things that we see, that should be the unifying thing. That's the ideal. That we come together to make much of Christ. Not that I come in and I judge, well, this met my personal preferences today right because when that happens what happens if if tomorrow the the music changes or the dress changes or whatever and then you go i'm out of here right there was no unity there if that's the case and so we want to be unified on christ and him alone right when we're when we're if you're here i want you just to think about this practically for a second if you're here because of style of dress and then there may be other people just maybe if you're here because you like that my shirt's tucked in and the things I said, there might be people that are here that are here in spite of that. I really wish you wouldn't dress up so much, right? Could be. That, that could be possible. And so then we're really not unified in anything if that's, if that's the reasons ultimately that we're, we're gathering together. And so I want us just to think about we don't want to be divided over external things. We want to be so unified in the important things that those other things take their proper place. And so look at what Paul says in verses 13 to 17 and just look at the way he says it, because he's just said some of them are saying, I follow this and I follow that. And so if we're if we're unified in different reasons, this would apply the same way. Verse 13 is Christ divided. Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, that may sound like a weird thing coming from Paul, right? It almost sounds like he's kind of anti-baptism a little bit when you first read that. When you read through the New Testament and you look at all these other things and you see what he says, that's obviously not the case. Paul assumes that we will be baptized and, and he, he talks about it often in the beautiful picture that it is. In Romans 6, he gives us this glorious picture of what it means. And so Paul's certainly not saying baptism is wrong or it's a bad thing. But I want you just to think about what he's getting at. Right? There's people saying, I follow Paul. And Paul's saying, I'm so glad that I didn't baptize a bunch of people so that they, they associate that with me. Like it's something that has to do with me. What Paul's saying is, I don't want it to be about me. I don't want you to be gathered because of me. I want you to be gathered because of Christ. 
I want that to be the thing that unifies you. I was trying to think of just a practical example of this. You know, we'll have uh, baptismal services. We do it in the, the fellowship hall just because of the logistics. And when we have those services, it's a wonderful celebration. And it's exciting to, to have this picture of, of a public profession of what God's done in our lives. And now we're going to follow him. And, and we do that and we do the baptism. And I want you just to think if we're having one of those services in there, and uh, let's just say whoever you, whoever your guy is, I was talking about before here, you, the podcast, the teacher you like to listen to, the books, he happens to be here that week, right? Whoever that is, Billy Graham, or uh, whatever that is. Uh, I, I like uh, Tim Keller a lot. So let's say Tim Keller walked in and was here. If you were to then go, you know what? He's here today. I, I want Billy Graham to baptize me. That would be great, right? And if Billy Graham said, you know what? You don't want me to baptize you because this doesn't have anything to do with me. This is about what Christ has done in your life, and we're making much of Jesus. That's basically what Paul's saying here. I'm glad I didn't baptize a bunch of people so people aren't looking back on their their baptismal and going, oh, look at what Paul did, or look who baptized me, because Paul's going, that's irrelevant. It's not about me. It's about Jesus, and we want to be united in that. And so that's the picture that he's painting here. And so when we think about what the ideal is, I want you just to think about that for a second. What the ideal is and, and what we want to be known for as a body, as a church. What we want to say, you know, oftentimes I'll hear people say things like, hey, come check out my church. We got the best music. Or come to my church. We've got whatever, you know, or come to my church. The liturgy and the way we do things is really great. You should come check that out. I'll be honest with you. I don't want anybody to say, come visit this church because of the music. I don't want anybody to say, come visit this church because of the preaching. I want people to say, come to this church because they are so in love with Jesus. And that's it. And all those other things, yeah, they may come and go and they may change, but that's the thing we want to be about. That's the ideal that we would be so taken with what God has done in Jesus. And so the question then becomes, how, how do we get there? And I think the answer is in verse 17 and 18. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so I'd say the answer that Paul's getting at and, and what we'd say is, how do we get there and how do we make it about Jesus is we always make it about Jesus. That's how we're unified. And that is, is we preach clearly and concisely and over and over the gospel of Christ, the good news. We go back to it and we say it and we look at it different ways and we apply it and we talk about it and we make much of it over and over and over And we keep going back. And that doesn't mean we don't walk through all the passages. It doesn't mean we just go to the gospel. But it does mean that Jesus is always central in everything. And we see it through that lens of what he's done. And so we go back to it over and over. And so I just say that today as we we gather. You have been saved because God came down. And he did what we couldn't do for us. Through Christ. We've been saved. That is the power. That it's all Jesus. 
And you can get so cute with so many other things that we miss it. I want you to think about just even the way Paul says it here. He says, not with eloquent words, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Again, we can go kind of like what he just said about baptism and we can take that to an extreme. Oh, well, Paul's saying that you should get up and you should keep your head down and you should be monotone and you should never have. Right. I mean, we could take it that way. Well, Paul says, I didn't use eloquent words and I wasn't this. And that doesn't mean you don't do your best and whatever it is. Right. The same thing with sharing the gospel. God is sovereign in calling people to himself. His Holy Spirit is what's going to save them. But that doesn't mean you don't do your best to explain it. Doesn't mean that you don't do it as lovingly as you possibly can. It doesn't mean that you don't do those things. You do. You absolutely do in all things. So it's not that. But I want you just to think about what he is saying, though. Right in a culture where it was all these guys that are coming in and they're so eloquent and they're all these things. Paul's just pointing to you that the reason that this church even took off, that anything ever happened, that people, anybody ever came to Christ is because he was all about Jesus. That's how it happens. Right. When we, we talk about it, it's really not as uh, complicated as we make it. Right. We, we pray for revival. And we want to see God move and we want to see things happen. You know how that happens. We get on our face and we pray and then we clearly present the gospel. That's it. That's how revival happens. A people that are on their face before God and then they go out and they just tell it. That's it. That's what the Bible says. And we like to make it so many other things and we make it all about other different things. And, and the sad part is... It just in the last few years, I've said that to people and people go, that won't work. I've had people say that. You can't just keep saying that. You can't just be about Jesus, right? You, you need to have more stories and more practical and more jokes. And you've got to talk shorter and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And the only thing I know to say is, all I got is Jesus. Sorry. No, that doesn't mean that we don't seek to be, it doesn't mean it's wrong to be funny. Some of my favorite preachers are really funny. And that's not a bad thing. But it only becomes a bad thing when that becomes the thing that you're, you're taken with. Oh, he is so funny. And a preaching professor used to say, the picture in the Bible is the body of Christ is the bride. And so that makes Jesus the groom. And he said, if you're up there telling jokes and you're being so funny, it's like you're the best man standing next to him winking at the bride. And so we want it always to be about Jesus. We always want to point it to him and keep coming back to that, that it's all about Christ and what he's done. And so I just simply say this, if we sit here today together as a body, as your elders, as, as, as pastors, preachers, that if it ever becomes about gimmicks, if the gospel ever starts to get pushed off to the side, you better stand up and say something. And if that continues to happen, I'm going to tell you right now, go somewhere else where Jesus is king, where he is supreme over all else. Don't settle for that. And, I, and I'd say that, too, because some of you, God's going to take you to different places or you're going to move or things are going to happen. And when that happens, find a place where Jesus is center. And his gospel is proclaimed above all else. Because that's, that's what Paul's saying. That's what his word says. And so as, as we think about how do we get there, that's it. We continue to, to point to Christ. 
And so I want to just end this morning just real briefly with why is that so important? And there's a lot of reasons that's so important. But I want you just to hear and think about this from what Jesus says. You know, we're talking about having a real unity. There's a disunity in this church here and they're quarreling and they're fighting and they're not getting along. Right. And Paul's saying it shouldn't be that way. You should be united in sound mind and judgment. And when that happens, when Jesus is supreme and he is sinner and he is those, this is what happens. What Jesus says in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, when Jesus becomes sinner and that's the thing we're unified with, all the other little things start to take their proper place. And we'll all, we will all always have different things that we like. There will always be difference of opinions on, on music and dress and style and all those things. But when Jesus is so supreme over everything else, we love each other in spite of all those things. We go, you know what? That's really not that important. Because Jesus is more important than all of that. And so when that starts to happen, a true love starts to come forth and people see that. And so that's why I'd say it's so important for the spread of the gospel, for the sake of God's glory to point to him. We love one another. And it's not hard when Jesus is the center. It's really not. When Jesus becomes the center of all things, then then this wonderful thing happens. Just listen to what the, the New Testament says. Just real briefly, and then we'll end here. Romans 12, love one another with brotherly affections, outdo one another in showing honor. Second Corinthians 13, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God and love of love and peace will be with you. Bear one another in love, Ephesians 4, 1 Thessalonians 3, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. First Peter one, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And first John four says, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever has born of God knows God. And so you see that over and over and over all throughout God's word that when we are so taken with Christ then we love each other and it bubbles out and you start to love other people and people see it. And that's what Jesus says. They'll know that you're my disciples by the way you love each other. And so the only way that unity ever comes is by making Jesus the absolute center of everything at all times in every way. And when it does, a beautiful thing happens. God is glorified and people see Jesus. And so as we work our way through Corinthians, that would be our heart over all of that. As we work through all these very practical things that Paul says over and over and he, he talks about that that would be over all of it. That Jesus is the center. He is the absolute King of all. And that's what we want to be about. We want that to be our unity together. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the power that is in just the clearly proclaimed gospel. The good news of who you are and the way that you love us and what you've done for us. I pray that we would always, always hold to that as supreme, the center of all, all else. I pray that you would unite us together and a love for you through Jesus and what you've done for us that just bubbles over. That is such a picture of the way that you've loved us. We thank you for that and we pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.